You know, Advent is a season of our year where we're preparing for the coming of Christmas. Just like I do my Christmas shopping well in advance of giving Christmas gifts to my wife and kids. Okay, I, that is not true at all. <laughs> not a chance. Not a chance. I haven't even bought Christmas gifts yet this year. I remember one time my wife actually said, you know, Nick, um, was it in this tone? Um, you should probably just do it a little earlier than a f- couple of hours before you give the gifts. Then you wouldn't have the problem of them being out of whatever you were looking for. And yet I still haven't bought gifts this year. But that is not how we should be preparing for Christmas when it comes to uh, anticipating and preparing for, for Christ and His birthday. And of course, what Advent is really about, uh, the second coming, what is ahead for us. Yes, we look back at what happened that day in Bethlehem, and yet we look back to look forward, and and that's what Advent is about, and it's why kids do programs, and it's why we decorate the way we do, and it's why we celebrate the way we do, to adore the one who came to save the world. Today we're going to do so by way of looking at the prophecy of Jesus' birth in Isaiah chapter 9 where we have one of the most incredible and detailed prophecies of Jesus' birth. And you'll see why in a bit. You can turn there with me. The words will also be before you on the screen. Isaiah 9. We're going to go verse by verse through verses 1 through 7, pausing from time to time to go over what's being said in the text, because it's quite a prophecy. Uh, Reading in Jesus' name, Uh, Let's start with the first verse, of course. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. Who's her? What's the gloom they're talking about? It's very poetic in nature, this prophecy. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the later time, he has made glorious the way of the sea the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. And then the prophecy, verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, symbolic of what God is doing. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. I was biking with my family many years ago. Many, many years ago. And... uh, and, and, and this is in kind of northeast of here, um, these bike paths, not motorcycle, biking, um, these bike paths were made on an old railway tunnel, railway line. And so as they go through the, 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 the forest and, and the cliffs of that area, uh, they did cut through the, the rock. And, and uh, there are a series on these bike paths a series of tunnels that go through the caves. And, and you know the, the saying, a light at the end of the... Yeah, well, I, I understood that better after uh, this, this bike tour. Uh, you make your way into these long, dark tunnels, and without a flashlight or a headlamp, you start to get a picture of what that really means. 
remember thinking to myself, because you're not going as fast as a train would be going, once you get into a certain spot and don't have light, you look back and it's dark way back there, but you look ahead and there's just a teeny tiny light way off in the distance that's guiding you to the place you need to go. Maybe you've experienced this yourself, a light at the end of the tunnel guiding you. It's a picture that we have here of the hope we have in this life despite the gloom and despair we experience. I'm not just talking about the weather today. (laughs) not just talking about that kind of rainy, damp, gloomy, cold. We all go through things. I I heard this week someone say, uh, the older you get, the more you go through as far as hardships go. Yeah, maybe true. Heard someone say yesterday, life is wide right. Did you get that one? Speaking of a certain kicker who missed a field goal in 1998. I don't know if I agree with that one, but anyway, you get the point. It's a picture of the hope we have in this life, despite whatever you're going through today. You know, hope allows us to look ahead with joy now. You hear that, church? Uh, Live in joy and freedom and security, even when there is no evidence that there is any of that circumstantially on the horizon. Which is the difference between optimism and hope, biblically speaking. For by faith in Christ, we're qualified to dream of a day where all things will be right and complete and whole again. Not lacking. You know, we can't predict how things will go. We can't control how things will go. And we certainly cannot control the timing of it all. Yet the Scriptures make clear we can be sure that God is at work. And we can trust Him in what He's done and what He's doing. Look at verse 2 again. If you want to put that back up on the screen. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. Darkness here is symbolic of God's judgment upon Israel as Assyria invaded the land and took captive the people and carried them into exile. Yeah, this prophecy of of Scripture isn't all candy canes and gummy candies or whatever you want to say. Not all happy. Not all lights. No, there's a play on, on words here. Light and darkness, light and darkness. Darkness is symbolic of God's judgment upon Israel's Assyria, invaded the land and took captive the people and carried them into exile. The, the hardship and the suffering and the despair of their choices and decisions led them away from God, causing them to face moments of despair where they wonder, God, what are you doing in all of this? Long periods of time when you wonder, what's next? How are we going to handle this? What have we got ourselves into? Maybe you're there. Maybe you've experienced this. But what does Isaiah say here? God has not abandoned Israel as they look look to get through the consequences of their actions. God is just and will do whatever it takes. 
to bring us back to him. In, in fact, his judgment is a display of his love for us. I mean, God is not a father who gets frustrated and walks out the door never to return. He's not that kind of father. He does the hard thing in fathering us, restoring us back into relationship with him. See again in verse 2, the people who are dwelling in darkness, a light has shone. Now that's quite significant what's being said here. Notice it's God who reaches us. We make so much about our, our, our pursuit of God. I did this. I'm, I'm looking for the truth. I'm seeking the truth. I'm seeking God with my life. I'm doing this. Oh, it's the other way around. That God is pursuing you. That even you here today is a picture of God pursuing you. And if God is working your heart at all, know this. That He has a reason you're here in the first place. That you're not here just by chance. That He's been pursuing you since the moment He dreamed you into existence, which is long before you were, you were born. That, that God moves towards you, not the other way around. In fact, if anything over history and time proves is that mankind moves away from God, rebellious in nature. Our very heart wants to just repel, step back, especially when we fail to do what we know we must do. has a way of kind of leading us to a place where we want to avoid God as if God wants to be avoided. No matter how long it takes, God is working in us. In us. Think about the fulfillment of these verses in Isaiah here. Uh, these verses are prophecy of the life and ministry of Jesus. The land spoken of here is the same region where Jesus ministered in beautiful northern Israel in the Galilee. I've had a chance to go there myself. Narrator in our children's message took me there once too. A beautiful place where Jesus grew up and then, then moved to the Capernaum area and and did much of his ministry time. And that's what these verses in Matthew 4 tell us, that this is the fulfillment of Isaiah. It says in verse 12, Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee, and, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the, of, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, remember, remember those names, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Then, then here's the fulfillment of the prophecies. Verse 15, the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. For those dwelling in the region of the shadow of death, that darkness that they'd been living in their sin, on them a light has dawned that God would move towards them, that He would get their attention. It says in verse 17, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That means turn, 
Turn, turn from the direction you're going and, and return to God. Now, now how, many, how many years do you suppose are between Matthew chapter 4 and Isaiah 9? Does anyone know? Two million thousand. Nope, not even close. I was going to say, this is a lot, but now it doesn't sound like a lot. No, I appreciate you raising your hand very respectfully and answering. How about 700 years? 700 years. Our timing is not always God's timing. If you're like me, rather impatient, (laughs) our timing... It's not like God's timing, especially when you're potty training a two-year-old, which my wife and I are doing right now. And you only have so much patience in a day, right? That patience wears thin by five o'clock, and the baby's crying too. And then the teenagers always have a problem with something. Kidding. They don't have any problems. Always helping. Best kids in the world. Anyway, (laughs) I know I need this time of therapy. Um, I'm kidding. But yeah, our timing is not God's timing. And yet, the scriptures show us we can be sure that God is at work and we can trust in what God has done and what he is doing. You can be assured of this today. Yes, hope allows us to look ahead now and live in joy and freedom and security even when there is no evidence that there is anything good circumstantially on the horizon. Look how this is said in Isaiah 9 again at verse 3. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy, it says. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Again, it's poetic, it's symbolic of of, of what they're looking forward to, and it gives us this example of the the farmer. My my father-in-law is a farmer. He's a retired farmer. He still is a hard worker. And, and so over the years, I've been married 20 years this year, over the last 20 years and the years I knew my wife before that, I've had a lot of time to learn what he does and, and how he does it. And, and I've learned a few things about farmers over the years. Number one, they're always talking about the weather. Yeah. And they're also always wondering what the prices are going to be. This is no knock on any farmers. It's not really something I grew up accustomed to knowing but have learned over the years. It's always too wet or it's always too dry. (laughs) Or it's always too windy. Yeah, there we go. And not only that, as the season goes on, especially if they don't have insurance, there is always that thought in their mind, what if, The harvest never comes. Yeah, I get that. And that's the picture we're given here. That we can have joy 
no matter what comes, the hailstorm, no matter what comes, because, because we do have the security that the Son came and won the victory, and although He is still to come and defeat the enemy, and that day is still ahead, we have the security that He is on His way. A picture of waiting for the harvest. That the fruit will come one day and God will restore all things. Verse 4, For the yoke of His burden and the staff for His shoulder, the rod of His oppressor you have broken as in the day of Midian. That's a reference to Gideon fighting the Midianites. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, Gideon... Hailed as a great hero in Israel many years before what Isaiah is saying, took a very small army and defeated a great army. And so any, any Israelite would have understood that he was referencing this great hero and the work of God, something that only God could have done. Verse 5, for every boot of the tramping warrior in battle, tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. What on earth does that mean? Well, he's speaking of the victory that Messiah will have over what first was the Assyrian army which plundered Israel and what is to come the great enemy that seeks to destroy our lives. First bringing Assyria into judgment and that's exactly what happened. This prophecy was fulfilled in Isaiah's day. And then bringing justice in Christ Jesus. And how is he going to do that? We have even more detail in verse 6. Are you still with me? Yeah, don't worry. It's not going to go too much longer. But still a while. <laughs> uh, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Does that remind you of a song we hear from time to time this time of year? Yes. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's just unpack this a bit. A child born to us. A son given. There's two very important words here. Given given into us. You know, one of the most incredible aspects of this prophecy is that the King, God incarnate, came as a humble, helpless baby. And that He grew up just like all the toddlers grow up in our day. Sassy and... No. <laughs> um, difficult. <laughs> no. Cute. No, but, but think about it. Think of the humility of God incarnate coming and being a two-year-old and going to kindergarten, kind of, and, and, and going through teenage years and young adult years, especially those. Kidding. Um, and then fulfilling his earthly ministry in just three years before he went to the cross for us, for us. Make no mistake about it, He laid down His life for us. 
I want you to consider the personal nature that is the Christmas story and that Christ did fulfill this. And we'll go on to talk a little bit about what that looks like. But that he did it for you. That that he would come, even if you were the only one left, that that he would come. The, The personal nature of what is being said here. To us a son given as a, as a gift of, of grace. We didn't earn it or deserve it. Jesus laid down his life. The, the Roman government and the religious leaders had no power over him. The true king who came into the world surrendered it for us. Look at the second part of verse 6 with me. And, and the government, it says, will rest on his shoulders... This is a two-part prophecy. This is both a picture of what is to come in the millennial kingdom. But it, so in other words, it's a head, even for us. But it is, too, a picture of what Christ did upon the earth for all of the world when he put upon his shoulders the cross and took upon his shoulders the sins of the world, on, on himself the sins of the world, in order that this ruling authority would rule in righteousness and peace. Like 1 Peter 2.24 says, He personally carried our sin in his body, on the cross, so that we could be dead to sin and live for what is right. Take that in for a second. His shoulders bore your sins. His shoulders bore your burdens. And he's still doing that today. It's something that I have to be reminded of on a daily basis. That when I try to take upon the burdens of the world on myself, when I, when I try, to, try, try to just... Go a little harder and do a little bit more. And then I can't. A good reminder that he already took upon himself your burdens. I wonder if maybe this is one of the greatest tricks of the enemy. To fool us into thinking that we're better off shouldering our own burdens. Then we wonder why we break I mean, I know a lot of Christians that don't give off the vibe that they're burden-free. And and just hear me out for a second. I don't mean in this life we will be burden-free. I mean, are you giving the Lord Jesus who bore your burdens, your burdens today? And are you entrusting them to him? Or are you trying to take them on yourself? Are you trying to prove to God that you can do it? Are you trying to prove to everyone else that you can bear them yourself? That you are strong enough to do it and you're not like anyone else? Freedom is found in the hope that Christ has accomplished that work and one day will complete it. Look how the king rules. Say this in closing. He would be for us a wonderful counselor, meaning the one who would rule justly and with wisdom, protect us. Like a military leader that will lead us to victory. That's actually what it's in reference to. Mighty God, as in the real God incarnate. 
everlasting Father. Now, Jesus isn't the Father and the two are distinct and yet they are one. But let me just say this. Jesus is the, as Father goes, originator or He is the, he is the author of eternal life. He is the Father of eternity. We receive all things eternal through the work and the person of Messiah, Jesus. You want something lasting in your life? You go to Jesus. He is the only mediator between God and us. Finally, Prince of Peace. The one who would come to usher in true and lasting peace. Wholeness on the throne of David by way of the zeal of the Lord. And there's so much here I could go on, but but let me just speak to it for a second. The zeal of the Lord of hosts means God is jealous for His people. In, in the most holy and righteous way, you can be jealous towards something, want something, desire something. That's Jesus towards us. First, of course, to Israel, His chosen people. But as Jesus came and extended the good news to all of the Gentile world and all of the world, it means He desires that we would come to Him. It means that Jesus rules and reigns with the same zeal of God's jealousy or His desire for us. And He desires that each one of us come to Him. Finally, when you hear this King will reign and rule forever and ever and ever and ever and ever as the scripture goes and as the song goes the picture is not only speaking to time and length but further the picture here is that each moment and in every way forward each step each day is better than the last see, see that's the hope of the believer in Christ Jesus it's not that things will be easy and always comfortable it's that we're growing day by day in His grace and in His mercy that we might fall down but we will get back up. That in Christ Jesus our hope is that 10 years from now I'm going to be better off because I'm going to be stronger because of this hardship. And tomorrow it's going to be better than yesterday. Next Sunday even better than this Sunday. Here's hoping. <laughs> Each day better than the last. I like that hope. Because it doesn't rest in my circumstances. It rests in the one who has won the victory and who will complete it. Would you pray with me, Heavenly Father? So grateful for your word and how it encourages us. Give us that hope, Lord. Speak into our lives this message of hope. Restore us. I know that there are many here today who need this message of hope right here and right now in their lives. I need it, Lord. We don't know what's ahead. We, we certainly can't predict it, but we know, Lord Jesus, that you're working and that you will continue to work, and we can trust that. So I pray for each one here that's struggling to bear the burdens that you desire to take from them, that they would release it to you, God. They acknowledge that you're the only one who can truly heal from the burden of despair and
struggle and hardship. The only one in which we can place our hope and trust so that we can live out right here and right now real joy presence of your faithfulness towards us, the goodness that we share, the security that you offer us in your salvation. That you went to the cross and took upon our sins, won the victory over death so that we could receive eternal life. And as we live out our eternity here and now, Lord Jesus, that is, that is transformative in the way we see today. So Lord, do that work in our hearts. Right now. Holy Spirit, come into this place. Fill us. Give us a word of hope. Restore us. Lead us, guide us, and direct us. We pray this all in your name. In Jesus' name, amen.